without taking much time, I'd like us to turn to the Word of God this morning. And for those of us who have not been around, or those of us who are visiting, um, this is part three of our series on transition. This is part three on our series of transition. And I know for many of us, it's been transitioned from 2022 to 2023. At least there's something you've jumped into. There are many people who love to jump into 2023, but unfortunately, they never made it. So it's a good thing. And some of us who've had transition from two children to three, others from one to two. A big transition. But also I want to appreciate... Uh, so back here to another transition. You share with us which the next transition that God is leading you to. And uh, welcome another transition, Mr. Lance. <laughs> so those are big, big transition in our journey. But like, um, let me say, every transition has its own challenges. Every transition has its own tough and good times. But through the prayer, through the love of God, through the commitment that God has given us, we walk through those transitions to be able to get where we need to be. And let me surprise you. Someone told me that change is a must. Every minute, change is a must because every minute, there's every second that adds to your age. When you wake up tomorrow, you are not where you were yesterday. So every minute has changed into your life, into your pattern. Oh. Lord, we pray for those things, or wherever they will be. We pray that peace and protection be upon your people, Father. That whatever is happening, we want to commit that to you. We pray for your message this morning. That as I bring your word this morning, Father, I pray for your anointing. I pray for your leadership. I pray for your guidance, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Transition. Before we look at the book of Romans chapter 12, I just want to quickly share with you briefly what we talked about last week. Last time through the book of Deuteronomy, we saw that Moses was 120 years old. And the promised land lay ahead. He had led the Israelites out of captivity from Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. He gathered the Israelites to share what seemed like his final speech because he knew he would not see the promised land. The next steps of the speech were going to be very crucial for the nation of Israel. Life in Egypt was not easy. The ancient Egyptians worshipped over 1,400 different gods and goddesses. In their shrines, temples, and homes. And these deities were the center of a religion lasting over three thousand years 
I just want to imagine for a minute a place where you have everything is under a God category. If there's drought, there's a God of rain. So you are riches for rain. If there's probably COVID, there will be hard as a God, a God who can deal with that. You offer sacrifice to a certain God. And it says that each deity was responsible for a certain part of daily life or the world around the Egyptians. And friends, keeping all these gods and goddesses happy was hard work and required daily rituals to be performed in temples across Egypt. I just want to imagine for a while a place you have over we have thousands and thousands of gods. There's so many rituals happening on a daily basis. One day I walked into a Hindu temple. When I used to be a teenager, I used to be very curious just to find out what happens. And I walked into a Hindu temple. And on that particular day, there was a picture on the wall of, of a person. And the story around was that that picture actually could drink milk. Now, I didn't understand how, and that's why I had the guts to walk into the temple and find out actually how something that has been picked from wood on the wall can actually drink milk. And a lot of Hindu worshippers were bringing milk and putting down there, many of them. But I can guarantee you, not even a single minute, I saw it drink milk. But the story was that actually it drinks milk. So I wouldn't tell you yes or no, because I watched, but it did not. So what I'm saying is that we are looking at thousands and thousands of gods, rituals happening around, and so many things happening. And I want to get a picture, just give you a picture of what is happening around the world at this particular time. You know, they offered food, water, incense, and precious materials to be offered to these dates in their temples every day by groups of priests acting on behalf of the Pharaoh. And sometimes even Pharaoh would be worshipped as a god in their own right. Now, according to the book of Joshua, some of these Israelites had begun to worship the gods of Egypt. You know, you've lived in a community raising up young children. They've been seeing so many different gods. And some of the kids have started to adopt the culture 
of worshipping some of these. They have been so corrupted by Egypt's religion that they no longer even knew who the true God was. And that generation was at a place of no repair. The life of those young people was so corrupted, was so changed that most of those children probably all of them never, never remembered that there was a God in Israel. The God of Jacob, the God of Isaac and Abraham could not remember. My friends today, that God's desire was and still the same is to see a transformed Israel, a transformed community. And so God had a plan to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt and offered a process that will see that work of transformation done. At least what God told them in the following verses. From Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 10, God told them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And as I was reading this, I was imagining God's frustration in a society where there are hundreds and hundreds of gods and goddesses being worshipped, rituals are being provided every day for this, to please these gods. But God comes up with a plan and tells them, my friend, you shall have no other God apart from me. For I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So it's not just saying you go ahead and worship. He's saying I'll punish your generation. Whether it's the third or the fourth generation, I'm going to punish them because of your hate you have for me. But he tells them, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So today I want to encourage you, but also challenge us as parents, as teachers, as a community, that we have, we have an assignment, we have a commitment to lead our generation, to lead our children in the right direction. Because if you don't play our role as parents, if you don't play our role as community, as a church, these children will be confused 
These children will be mixed up in the punishment of this generation. It will not stop here because the children that are going to raise up, the future leaders of tomorrow, they will be impacted. And aren't you as a parent, as a, as a friend, as a cousin, as, a, as an uncle to a child, aren't you to listen and understand that God has given you a role to play as a parent, as a parent, as a teacher, as a family, as a, to, to help this young person who is voiceless, who can stand up and adapt to anything that is on the social media, that is in the world there, that is on the television, that is in the community, that is able to adopt, to get, and to be conformed to in the community. Let me remind us that devil is not asleep. The devil is not sleeping. But I know God has a plan and God has a purpose and a process. And that's why God provided the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. He got them out of the wilderness and through the Red Sea and told them, please, before you move ahead, I want to give you these Ten Commandments. And the first commandment I want to tell you that you shall not worship any other God apart from me. I like the story of Romans chapter one, verse chapter twelve, verse one and two. Because when you look at the story of Romans chapter eleven, and that's why chapter twelve begins by saying therefore. Because if you look at the whole of chapter one up to eleven, Paul is talking about the nation of Israel, both the Jews and the Gentiles. He's saying, friends, God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten us. We are still redeemable. There's still a plan for us to be saved. There's still a way for us to get saved. And also he's saying, therefore, argue brothers and sisters in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing, and perfect will. A living sacrifice told law required Jews to be observe a complex system of animal sacrifice to atone for sin and to remind the people of the significance of their sins. And only animals without blemish were acceptable offerings. The Christians in Rome to whom Paul was writing this letter were mostly Gentiles and assumed they felt no obligation to offer animal sacrifices. And Paul says, however, that they may 
had a sacrifice obligation that, in fact, surpasses that of animal sacrifice required by Torah. Christians are not allowed to substitute an animal's life for their own, but instead they're required to sacrifice their own lives. The requirement, however, is no longer ritual, slaughter, but instead the presentation of the living person to God, a life dedicated to the service. My message today to each one of us that this journey of transformation, this transition of transformation is a sacrifice. And God is not asking you and I to sacrifice an animal. He's saying, can we sacrifice ourselves? Can you sacrifice your time and do something? Can you sacrifice one of your days and do something? It's about the sacrifice. It's about the sacrifice. I want to remind parents, because I'm a parent as well, for you to see young people go to uni and get jobs from this age, there are lots of sacrifices you make before they get there. It's not easy. And today I want to really appreciate the workers that help us with the children on Sundays. And those of us who come here to support the kids' ministry and other various ministries, whether it's Fridays, Wednesdays, Children's Club, I want to say it's a big, big sacrifice that you give for the young people. But I want to challenge us today as well. What sacrifices are you giving for your children, for your family, for your marriage, for your job? What sacrifice are you offering for your job? You know, sometimes you think of it's a sacrifice of somebody else, but it's a sacrifice about you, it's yourself. What are some of the sacrifices that you do for your family? I was talking to my wife yesterday and we were remembering those days. I used to have an uncle. When he's around, you don't see him. He will send a messenger with some food to take home. And, and so you see the bag of some goodies and stuff coming home with the messenger. Himself will come home at probably at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. drunk. The first thing he'll do when he finishes work, he'll walk into the pub, have some drinks with his friends, but send food home. For him, that was love for his family. That you have food, yes, you have money, okay. Let me have my time with my boys. Outside. And I've seen couples, I've seen couples struggle. When sometimes one of the spouses thinks that, you know, 
I'm working hard to provide for the family. I'm the breadwinner for the family. I'm the source of everything, this home. That even if I go for the whole week, why are you asking? Bound to remind us it's about the sacrifices. That are you happy even to sacrifice a time with your boys or a time with your girlfriends? Or a time at work and say, you know what, boss, today I want to go home early and be with my family. I want to spend time with my family today and make that sacrifice. We sacrifice so much for our employees, employers, sorry. We sacrifice so much for our, our, our friends out there. We sacrifice so much for our, our friends in the pub, wherever we go, in our functions, whatever. But at home, you become a different person. A life committed to doing God's will, a life lived in faith and lived out in faithfulness. As Christians, we are to present our lives for God's purposes. And not just for Sundays, but for every day. There's no moment or circumstance in which the obligations does not apply. The slaughter of an animal reminded the person that apart from the grace of God, it would be his or her life required on the altar. You know, I'm not sure whether you really understand about sacrificing a live animal. And because I grew up in a culture where if an animal dies or you found meat that has already been prepared, you don't eat. That's how when I grew up. But nowadays things have changed. You walk to supermarkets and there's frozen meat, there's frozen whatever you find. You don't know when the animal was killed or slaughtered. Some of these animals have been slaughtered for many years. <laughs> been prepared, frozen on the shelves. By tradition in our culture, in our culture, you will never, never eat meat that you never witnessed being slaughtered. So those days, elders would come together, um, bring an animal, and for the community, after it's been checked by the doctor, whatever they did, the animal is slaughtered and everybody's given their portion. A living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. <laughs> I'm just reminding us that it was a big thing to offer a living sacrifice. It was a big thing. And I think that's why in many worlds, like especially in the Islamic faith, if they haven't slaughtered that animal, they don't eat, they don't eat it. It was with the Jewish community and so many other communities around the world there was a purpose for that. There was a purpose. But in our, in our now generation, Paul, through the book of Romans, is reminding us that it's not about the animal anymore. Because anybody can offer an animal. It's about us. Are you willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice? It's very easy to offer a dead sacrifice. 
you can give money to go and work for you in that in that society. You can send money to the mission field. It's a good thing. But God is saying it's not about sending, it's about you yourself. Are you going to offer yourself to do it? What are some of the gifts that God has given you to support the ministry, to support his work? So as I come to the end of this message, I just want to remind us that yes, we can live transformed lives in this sinful world. The first thing by offering our lives as a living sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. And the essence of this idea of sacrifice is that we are to be willing to offer ourselves to God. The truest sacrifice we can make is to live according to his purpose for our own lives. Paul said that presenting your body as a living sacrifice, as a living and a holy sacrifice, your spiritual act of worship. God is inviting us to die to self and live for him. This is not easy, but it's possible. Because God expects us to live for him in our journey. We are to give our entire being, all our hearts, our mind and soul, and all our talents, all our energy and all our strengths to serve him. And that's why he challenged the nation of Israel. He said, I'm a jealous God. That you cannot honor, you cannot worship any other God apart from me. He's saying it's only me that you can give that to. But I can tell you, it's not just about a God out there, but things we do that can easily take the place of God. It can be, your job can become, take the place of God. Your studies can take the place of God. There are so many things that take the place of God in our life. But I want you to think about it as I, as I do. The second thing quickly, we can live transformed life when our mind and thinking begin to be more like Christ. And the work of transformation is to help us. And today I'm glad we have teachers and staff from school here because your business is a bit harder to get these young people with zero message in their mind and show them how to draw, how to paint, how to write. I can't even imagine how I got to learn to do that. I can't even remember. I mean, you guys have a, a bigger job than me. Some of the doctors, you've transformed these people from here with nothing here to become doctors. Some of the lawyers you see around, you, God has given you the energy, the skill to transform this mind to become the lawyer. The engineers that are doing those things 
Your job is so important to God. Like any other job, but and as a teacher, as a school staff, as a parent, aren't you to feel proud of yourself because God has given you that wisdom. God has given you that space to sit with this person that walked through your school with zero understanding of anything. Zero. And you started slowly to, 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 to invest in them. You started slowly to work with them. You started slowly to help them. They're able to transition to a different generation just because you sacrificed time to sit down with them and spend time with them. Why don't you be proud of yourself? Some of us smiling because you know the hard work you gave to your teacher when you sat in that class. I struggled to write an S of all the letters. The teacher really tried. I was trying to, it, it just couldn't work for me. S. So friends, the work of transformation is to make us more like Christ. Apostle Paul says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. If a simple teacher can change somebody from nothing to a, a prime minister, a president, a name them. What about God? What else can God do for us as Christians? I want to remind us that even if your life is so crooked, even if your life is so corrupted, even if your life is so weird that you've experienced a million gods that have ruined your brain, that God's ability and through the Holy Spirit is able to transform that brain and that mind and make you what he wants you to be. Some people have told me if I walk to the, the church, the roof will come down because they can't even imagine themselves sitting in a church. I've said, wow. But as your transformation is happening in your journey, as transition is happening in your journey, your mind starts to focus and think like Christ. You become to discern and see the will of God. You discern and feel the direction of God. Because you're being transformed to think like him in your journey. Oh, finally. Okay, the last point I want to make is we can, we can live transformed life when we adopt the character of Christ. And it's important for us to make general statement. A general statement, as Apostle John does in 1 John 1, 2, 6, that he who says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way as he walked. In other words, if we claim to be Christians, we must be Christ-like. Hello? If we claim to be Christians, 
We must be Christ-like. Think of Apostle Paul. God transformed the heart that lacked compassion to one that loved people, including Gentiles. This is the man that was persecuting the church, killing people. But Christ invited him. His life was transformed to love people and share with them. Even those people that were never loved, the Gentiles, he said, we need to love these people. They are family, they are part of us. They are brothers and sisters. God can change you and can change me in our journey. As I finish, I want to finish with these words from Genesis chapter 26, 12 to 33. You can read it on your own when you get home. But Genesis tells us a contentious story of wells during a time of famine, famine sorry, when God commands Isaac to remain in the land of his father. Abraham, Abraham, sorry, and dig the water. The land is blessed because of a promise that God made to Abraham and Isaac. Is therefore blessed in his get task. Abraham dug and defended wells that flourished, and his enemies despised it. When Abraham died, the care of the wells passed away with him. The sea people from that land elbowed in and stooped up those wells, destroyed, destroying the life of giving power. Years later, Isaac inherited the challenge to restore and renovate the wells. In short of this story, for those of us who have not read this story, Isaac went back to restore the wells his father dug so many years ago. But he found the community that were living in that place had already filled it with dust. But he never gave up. He went back and did the wells again. And they came back and filled them up. And he did the same. What am I saying today? Your spiritual journey, your transition, may not be easy. For some of us, when you stop a little bit, dust, the enemy is filling in dust. For some of us, we've not been necessarily the enemy. It's the challenges we carry each and every day that fill up your well. The things you carry every day. It could be your job that is so busy. It could be other commitments that make your well filled up. I want to remind you today, it's not too late. Because like Isaac, the Bible says that he went back and redug the wells. That even as the enemies filled them up with soil, he went and removed the soil back. And for those of us who are struggling spiritually, I want to tell you today, you are not alone. Most of us are struggling. There are many times when myself, I feel like my well has been refilled again. I have to start from zero to dig again. My message to you today is don't give up. Don't allow the enemy to fill that well of your journey.
I want you to know, go back and redig those wells. Go back and redig them. And when he did, he too faced opposition from the Philistines. They drove him away from his wells. So Isaac directed his community towards the difficult task of digging Abraham's wells. Once again, the Lord fulfilled his promise to prior generations. And Abraham's act of faith long ago bore fruit. Eventually, Isaac was successful. He never gave up. He never gave up. I want you to look at your life today and ask yourself, who are you becoming in your journey? Through this transition of life, of your journey, of your spiritual journey, who are you becoming? Are you becoming as one among the nation of Israel that was so corrupted by so many other things? Are you in a place where you well your spiritual journey? Because for me, a well is like a spiritual journey that has been stooped by dust. And you're feeling frustrated because you, every time you've been pulling up the dust from your well. And sometimes I tell people, not money or jobs can, or other things can destroy the devil. Sometimes it's just bitterness we carry that keep on stooping our, our, our well. It could be unforgiveness that you've been carrying in your heart. That every time you want to raise up, it just fills up your well. It could be sin. For those of us that have, 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 have feel like they're living in sin, it could be seen that every time you want to raise up from your well, it just is stooped up and is filled up with dust. For some of us, it could be grief and pain that you've been carrying for many years. That every time you want to stand up and worship God and, you, and, and raise up your spiritual journey, and sometimes it's like the soil has just been poured back and filled it up, and then you, get, you go back to zero. Why, do you, why don't, us, don't we stand up today? Just stand up where you are now, because I want you to think about your own journey. Let's stand on our feet as I finish. I want the worship team to come. And the worship team comes up in front. I want you to think about your own journey. I want to think about your own journey. During this transition, how is your transformation happening? As you sing the next song, And you think about the words of the song as you think about your journey. But above, I want to pray for you today. That maybe you came here and you felt like everything was not happening. That things were not where they're supposed to be. Your journey has been ruined. Your well has been stooped up by dust again. I want to tell you, go back and dig it again. Go back and dig it up. Lord, we thank you today. 
Lord, I want to thank you for your message. I know many of us are going through various transitions, whether it's family, work, or just through spiritual life. And some of us are feeling like Isaac, that the journey your parents began so many years ago hasn't been easy for you. Some of us have been feeling like I, maybe I just, just quit doing it. But I want to pray for you today that as you leave this place, that God will continue to remind you of the transitions, of the transformation that he's been doing in your life. Yet many times they can't even see that. But I pray that God will help you to, to see it in a way, one way or another. There are many of us, you walked here today and you're feeling hopeless. You're feeling like God has been far away from you. And I pray that, Lord, may you help those ones to feel your presence today, to feel your revelation, to feel your comfort, that may your hand reach out and touch them today. Thank you, Jesus.